0: Welcome to Overcoming, the podcast to support you in your healing, growth, and overcoming journey. My name is Taylor. I am your host, and I'm here to support you through tools, resources, and also shared lived experiences to inspire you to take back your life regardless of life's messiness. I am also a doctor of occupational therapy, certified trauma professional, and survivor who's been healing for years to remind you that anything is possible before we get started, I want to remind you that there is a trigger warning present throughout this entire podcast just due to the heavy nature of trauma and also shared stories from our guests. Additionally, this is for educational purposes only. Make sure that you are checking out and going to see your medical providers and psychology professionals for individualized advice. Again, take care of yourself. If you need crisis resources, they are on my website. You can also contact the emergency services and now that all of that is out of the way i invite you to take some deep breaths ground yourself and join me in this overcoming journey Hi everyone. And welcome back to overcoming the podcast. I'm your host Taylor. And I have with me today, Eric Winton. Um, I'm going to have him introduce himself in a little bit, but we connected on social media. Um, and he's a therapist and it's been really interesting seeing his perspective on things because he has a lot more of the, education professional side of things, but then he's also really funny in the way that he presents content. So I was like, well, we got to have a conversation because I feel like our vibes match and flow and matches this audience. And um, so today we are going to be talking about dysfunctional relationships and toxicity. Um, So before we get started, do you want to introduce yourself and say hi to everyone, Eric?
1: Sure. We'd love to. Uh, Hello everyone. My name is Eric Winton. I'm a licensed that marriage and family therapist in the state of California. And um, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yes, so so excited to have you. Thank you. And you, this as of right now, this is your very first podcast. So, congratulations. It
1: is, thank you.
0: I'm very excited to see many more to come. And I always I joke around oh. with my guests. I'm like, this is your first time. Maybe you'll have your own podcast someday. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Right? So um, obviously the professional background you share a lot about. I'm wondering today if you have maybe a story of overcoming or something to share that might help our audience understand a little bit about toxic relationships.
1: Okay. Um, well, to to kind of launch into this, uh, I'll, I'll start in the middle and then maybe tag a bookend, the beginning and the end of it. Um, As a therapist, how I got here is a big part of my own story of healing. Now, I I don't want to pretend to speak for all therapists. I think there is a a common theme with many therapists that we have experienced some form of uh, intersection with mental health in our own lives, whether it's with family or friends or some life experience, trauma, whatever it may be. And um, that is definitely my story, that my experience in getting into mental health started in kind of a roundabout way. Um, When I first started off working in mental health, I really thought that I was gonna work with children and probably young teens. And what's really funny about that is, did not happen at all. (laughs) Uh, I, I was so excited to get started in working with children And I had my my kid all set up, and I had a a children's uh, play package that I had developed, and I was ready to go, literally ended up donating all of that stuff. And part of my reason for bringing that up is it's a part of my story about how I got into mental health in the first place. Um, My background prior to getting into being a uh, clinical therapist has to do with being involved in working with people one-on-one quite a bit as well um in my my previous life i was actually involved in ministry and what i found in working in ministry was that there were so many situations that i was not equipped to be able to really give the care and the help that people needed
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and um I, I could love on them. I could try and meet them from a spiritual perspective, but they needed more care and more help. And uh, eventually I thought I was going to go back to grad school so I could get more education to better help me in that regard. Little did I know that I was launching myself on a journey of um, a long put off personal healing, mm-hmm. which completely redirected me. In my future and what I was going to be doing and a major career change that I had not anticipated at all at the time. Um, At the same time, what it did do is it exposed me to a lot of my own uh, misconceptions preconceptions prejudices biases, etc, that I had allowed to take over. And um, not with intentionality, it was just something that kind of creeped in over the years. So that's very much a 30,000-foot overview. Obviously, there's a lot more context to all that, but I wanted to just give a a brief touch on how I got there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Going back to the explanation about my childhood, that... Uh, I grew up in a, in a family that was, um, I'm just going to say low income, we weren't, we weren't poor, I'm not trying to claim poverty, but we were definitely on government assistance at that time, uh, which was completely different, um, showing my age here, uh, but it was completely different setup, we were getting uh, food resources, et cetera, financial assistance from the government. But I, I had no context of that. I, I was just a kid living life, right? Yeah. Um, my father was a recovered alcoholic and um, he was sober one year to the day I was born. And um, he went through recovery and worked very hard at his recovery. Um, but the connection there also is that I was a, a young child in my first formative years with a brand new uh, be sober individual. Mm-hmm. And the stress at later, I was to find out that there was a whole lot of stress that was going on in my family. Um, on top of that, my father was not exactly skilled at emotional connection, emotional awareness, mm-hmm. and being able to come alongside, especially uh, a small child and to be able to help him in those areas. Yeah. So Uh, one of the things that I experienced was a major disconnect with my father um, at a very, very early age. So uh, one of the things that was, I guess, kind of affirmed and uh, substantiated by my mother later in life, um, so it's not just a a me memory, it's something that I was able to uh, confirm and affirm through my mother, but also my other siblings, Mm -hmm. um, was that my father was very distant and um, that he basically stopped holding me at Mm -hmm. age two. And so for anyone that has any kind of mental health background uh, or developmental psychology training, Mm -hmm. we know that that is a very critical time in uh, relationship attachment, things like that for a child to develop. Now, my mother was very much, very present, very involved, uh, definitely tried to draw me out quite a bit. But I had this very um, polarized example in my family of origin, where I had a father that was constantly wanting me to grow up and be a man, air quotes.
2: Mm, Um,
1: And then I had a mother that was trying very much to help me process my emotions and to be able to identify, verbalize, and speak my emotions as I was growing up. Um, Through my young years, ran into a lot of trouble, uh, hung out with the wrong crowd, again, air quotes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started experiencing a lot of acting out. And what I was later to discover was that uh, there was a serious disconnect for me. Um, One of my earliest memories was Um, of my father saying, why can't you just grow up and be a man? And my response to him was dad, but I'm just four years old. And that again was confirmed. My mother remembers that day we were camping and she remembers the interaction, but that is like kind of encapsulates the relationship that from a very early age, my father was pushing on me to grow up, be a man all of that. I had no context. I had no real clue. Fast forward a little bit on trying not to draw this story out too much. Um, at age 12, just graduating sixth grade, getting ready to enter into seventh grade, my mother and father divorce. There's a whole lot that led up to that again, Mm -hmm. abridged version. Um, but I'll never forget my father telling me that my mother was leaving and that, um, that I was going to go live with her. We were in the driveway, uh, again, 12 years old. And even though I didn't want to live with my dad, I told him, I wanna go live with you. Again, there's psychology behind that, you know, mm-hmm. desiring to be connected to the father figure, et cetera. Yep. Um, but my dad's response again was, no, there's nothing more I can do with you. You're too tied to your mother's apron strings. And wow. that was something that stayed with me for decades. And so this idea of becoming a man, what does it mean? What does it look like? With a father figure that was very, I'm just gonna call it toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. um, came from the marble man uh, image, which I know that's gonna, doesn't make any context for a lot of you, has to do with cigarette commercials, right? the Marlboro guy, cowboy smoking a cigarette hard, Mm -hmm. uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. My father was in the military in World War II, came from a very um, just, you know, fight through it, pull yourself up, get going mindset. Talking about your emotions, um, going to therapy, all of that stuff was not even remotely on my dad's radar. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: from that moment at 12 years old, there was a serious disconnect for me. And for the next several decades, I was in an internal turmoil with myself mm-hmm. about what it meant to be a man and yeah. uh, what it meant in, in all ways, um, sexually, um, emotionally, uh, relationally, all mm-hmm. of those things. And um, I mentioned earlier about my background in ministry. There was none of that present uh, that mm-hmm. came later in life. And that, again, was a part of my search to find myself, Mm -hmm. right? And to find what it meant to, again, be a man. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, that kind of just sets the stage um, for what kind of led up to this difficult process that a young man was going into. I entered into seventh and eighth grade, got involved in alcohol and drugs, uh, went quickly through uh, misuse to abuse to addiction mm-hmm. um, and struggled with that for years until uh, approximately, I want to say 1990. So I would have been in my, where was I? Sorry, I had to do the math in my head. Oh, math, you're fine. About 25, late 20s, right around there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so all of those, again, teen years, uh, formative years, there was emotional disconnect, relational disconnect into my teen years and young adult years, there was substance abuse. And Mm -hmm. so there was a delay on my emotional development.
2: Yeah. So
1: now I'm entering into quote adulthood when Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be a man and not knowing what the hell I'm doing and trying to act out in ways that I see on television Mm. or Whatever it may be, and um, you know, enter all kinds of negative relationships and interactions, and I literally became the very thing I didn't want to be,
0: mm.
1: which was my dad,
0: yeah. And you know, I feel like that is so much more common than we think that when. We have these patterns that are modeled to us early on, whether or not we desire that. I think subconsciously, if we don't actively do something against that, that we can easily recreate that, you know? And so I've seen it repeated in my own family where- There, um, you know, I relate to what you were saying about, you know, like the emotional disconnect, just push through. My mother was actually the one who was that way. She was very much in her, her masculine energy. A lot of the time, um, my biological father was my primary abuser, um, and was just a really not, not great person. Didn't do anything around the house, whatever. So my mom did everything. Um, but also it was, we don't have emotions. You're too dramatic, just push through and so for me, I didn't understand healthy emotions as in like my feminine energy because it was just like, oh no, just, you just get over it. Like stop being dramatic. It's fine. Push through. Right. Um, and so I was someone who had big emotions and I struggled with that in my teen years and my early twenties. And again, with toxic relationships and on the other side of things, my biological father with my brother, they were a lot closer. And my biological father had these patterns of physical abuse. Mm-hmm. And I see that showing up now with anger in my brother, who mm-hmm. hasn't had any awareness, refuses to go to therapy, anything. And it's it's rare, but it's enough to where it's serious. Right. And like seeing white moments, you know? Um, but it's just never been dealt with. Meanwhile, I'm the one who's like, no, I'm not going to continue this pattern. I could be very manipulative. And I was at first, um, you know, there were things that it was too. like, I have to, right? Like we, when you learn that way, that's yeah, how you learn to get your needs met, right? Exactly. So one family member who, you know, you need to be the golden child or you're going to get hit or degraded emotionally or psychologically manipulated, right? And then the other family member that's like, eh, get away from me like keep your space. You're too needy. You're, you know, I got stuff to do. Just push through, just handle it, whatever. So, you know, it's that dynamic of like, what do I do? Where do I go? And so I relate to what you're saying in different ways, but just the the feeling of how do I do this? (laughs) Like, and here's the thing, I don't know about you, but I didn't realize that it was toxic until I started healing as an adult. Right. Yeah. So normalized
1: a hundred percent. I think to, uh, I guess, a couple of quick caveats that I want to throw in there. I'm focusing, again, there's so much context and nuance that I'm gla- glancing over. Um, yeah. And when I mention about, you know, my addiction and alcoholism, I, I don't want to pretend or um, gloss over the fact that I became toxic too, and I hurt many people in my wake, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I want to be clear just to acknowledge that, but also in this context, we don't have the time to go into all the details. And of that's course. not what this is about. Yeah. But being able to acknowledge that it took very much uh, a period of time in my adult life, like you were saying, mm-hmm. to be able to recognize that and to be able to realize, oh, my gosh, I I, I have become the monster that I dreaded. Mm-hmm. And um, the way I was interacting in my uh, romantic relationships, the my skewed perception of others. Um, and I really struggled with that. Yeah, um, yeah. so anyway, I, I wanted to ask you though, do you remember a, a, a key moment for yourself where it was a turning point for you to want to heal and, and get better? You may not have known what that was or how to do it, but
0: yeah. Um, for me, it was when I lost one of my friends. Um, I remember just being so emotional and just, I didn't hurt people to hurt people, but I was so people-pleasy to the point where if they didn't like me, I got mad. Right. And I would just be like, how dare you? Right. And so there's this moment in high school where I had a fight with a friend and I just remember very clearly them just looking at me like, I don't know you like who, you know, it was like this switch of like, well, fine. You don't want to be like me. Then, you know, like, it was just like really snippy, um, super, like, almost like, I don't want to say manic, but it's, you know, it was like this really, really intense, emotional expression and i played the victim.
2: Mm, okay.
0: Because that's what i knew to do. That's what was modeled to me. Um and as for me, i i had always recognized myself as the problem. Um i realized i wanted to start healing before i even knew what was happening with me when i recognized more of that there was something off with my family that i wanted help. But i didn't know what that help meant. I honestly thought that meant medication.
2: Mm. I
0: was like, I can't do this. I can't manage my emotions. I'm, you know, Um, but I feel like for me, I, in my teen years, especially, so growing up with narcissistic abuse, um, one of the things for me was that my actions were so overly monitored to the point where there was like reactive abuse that Mm, my abuser knew how to push buttons and get a reaction and would sit there and record it and say, see, You're the problem. And I'm going to show the police this. Right. So I don't really think until after my, like, I always controlled myself outwardly, emotionally for that reason. It wasn't like a true, it's hard to describe because it's not like it was like, oh, I have control. I'm good. It's like, I am going to have control to a point in front of others. Then when no one is watching or when I know there's not a camera or whatever, then I just don't even care. I'm going to push buttons the other way. Um, but when, after my first toxic relationship, um, I realized, Ooh, there's some attachment wounds here. And I didn't know what that was. Um, but I was highly anxious yeah. highly, highly anxious attachment, um, trying to correct everyone, trying to control everything, trying to, you know, yeah. what do you mean? You'd like the, just the smallest little things, um, almost like an overcorrection as to what I've had in the past. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, there needs to be something else and I need to go back. And a PTSD trigger actually happened right around the same time. So for me, yeah. There's kind of a few moments, it's not really like one pivotal thing where I was like I need to heal. It was more like I've always known, it was just okay, now it's time to go back and do more, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, it it completely makes sense. Yeah. Um I was thinking in in my in my looking back over my experience, it happened at different stages. There there was uh I when I talk to clients when I'm working with them, I I talk about the concept of sometimes when we come to therapy, we're expecting this, I don't know, 45 degree angle trajectory of improvement and health and all of that. Mm -hmm. And the graph is much more erratic, right? Sometimes you take a snapshot at any one moment on a data point and you're either going to be, you know, doing much better, or maybe you're having a bad day or whatever, but the overall arc should hopefully be improvement right? Mm -hmm. And we often hit plateaus. And so that's what I experienced is that Mm -hmm. early on, there was a recognition, oh, gee, I am kind of using a lot of drugs and alcohol. And huh, I just got kicked out of school because I was in a car that went through that we drove through the tennis courts, because we thought that'd be funny. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, vandalism, different things happening, gee, quote, normal people don't do this, right? So maybe there's something there to work on. Um, so there were these little like flashes of problems that were going mm-hmm. on. And so maybe I'd get a little bit of help and then keep rolling on, fall back into some old patterns, old behaviors, realize I need to do more work, etc. Yeah. One of the biggest things for me, I think also was recognizing in relationships early on. So I wasn't married at this point. I was just uh, dating as, you know, people figuring out their relationships and all that. But I had, you were talking about attachments. I could not separate myself Mm. from this partner, whoever the partner might be, right? Mm -hmm. There's a couple of key figures in in my story, but um, I was just, in my mind, I was in love, Mm -hmm. but I was so enmeshed because I became, this relationship became my identity. Yeah. And when things went bad, I was in really bad shape. And that was another one of those stages of looking back and realizing, wow, hmm, maybe I need to do some work there. So thankfully, therapy came in in stages.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: there'd be a little bit of work here, a little bit of work there. And then I would have these moments where I thought I was healing and progressing and growing and mm-hmm slide back down the hill a little bit, fall into old patterns, old behaviors, realize, oh my gosh, here we go again. Not, o- not only was it bad, but it, it almost felt worse than before. And so there. long story short, too late. Um, there are many times where I recognize that that there were glimpses of, this is so much bigger than I had any concept of. Yeah. And it goes so much deeper. And some of the things I talked about in my childhood early on, just to give the I, the context, I didn't even really connect the dots until much later.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so there were these little snippets in time where I'd work on this issue or that issue or whatever, mm-hmm. and then eventually get to this point of looking at, oh my gosh, they're all interconnected and it goes so much deeper that there needs to be more work.
0: I totally understand that like at first mine started with just processing trauma and then it turned into my anxiety and then it turned in my need to want to control people. And then it turned into my moral perfectionism pointing on other people. You know what I mean? It's like, and so, and it was not recognizing like, Oh, Hey, yeah, that wasn't so great. Um, So I I get that it's just like different points. And then sometimes all the things just kind of lead together and, you know, you're doing different things here and there. And then they all, have you had that moment yet where like all the things you've working on just come together in this big core wound?
1: That's an interesting question. I I guess I'm going to, I'm going to go with no
2: Hmm. right
1: now. I, I, I think close, but I, I, the reason I hesitate to say it is because I felt like I've gotten there.
2: Mm-hmm. only to
1: find out that I'm uncovering something else <laughs> right? right like all the way into grad school grad school was my my latest big epiphany of self work mm-hmm. so that's the only reason I say that but I'm curious Makes about sense. your your experience
0: yeah I feel like a lot of a lot of my stuff came down to feeling unsafe and feeling crazy and so oh. it's controlling my manipulate it's like controlling how people see me it's the passive aggressive it's the suppress my feelings and get resentful that you didn't understand me it's you know it's very very much a core wound from heavy psychological manipulation for years right um and I think now the way that it shows up is sometimes in my professional image like oh my gosh are they gonna see me as different the imposter syndrome right but it all comes from that same thing it comes from the exact same thing. And it's very interesting because whether it's in relationships or whatever it is, it's like, I feel the need to control how other people see things. Um, And my journey towards becoming my authentic self and just showing up even in the messy and the whatever has been really these last two years heavily. And that has liberated me because Mm -hmm. I have moments of where I'm like, oh, what about this? But like, it used to paralyze me and I was manipulative. Yeah. And not in a way that like, I'm going to hurt people, but I am going to be what I need to be in order to get what I need to from you, which is in my mind, connection and safety and love. However, that still was not the way to go about things.
1: 100%. Yeah. So, I yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, The ongoing journey of healing. Um, as you were talking about that, it, it did remind me of one point, uh, which was a very low point. And. I'm fast forwarding quite a bit by this point, I was married. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but, um, I'm going to say probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, there was a point where I was literally laying in bed and my wife and I were, were kind of just talking through some things and I was crying and I literally didn't think I was ever going to get out of this hole. I I had become almost agoraphobic. Um, I wasn't leaving the house. I was on uh, mood stabilizers, antidepressants, uh, heavily medicated. And I I literally just thought there's going to be no way out. And um, that was a turning point for me too, not, not only spiritually, I don't, I don't want to turn this into a spiritual conversation at its core, but Mm -hmm. there was a spiritual connection for me too, where I had to recognize that I had to put my faith out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because my experience was, I see no way out. Yeah. And I had been there once before and attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. And uh, thankfully it was an attempt that did not take And I walked away from that experience thinking I won't ever do that again, but I found myself back in that place again. Mm -hmm. And I was able to recognize it this time and be able to put, uh, start talking about my pain, I guess is what I'm really trying to get to in this context. My, I, I had a support person with me. I had my partner Mm -hmm. that was there to say, I love you. I care about you. Um, I know you don't feel it, but I believe that you're going to be able to get through this Yeah, and that's all I had. And yeah. I recognize for some of your listeners that might be listening right now, they might be thinking, but I don't have that person. Yeah. And my, that's honestly where my heart goes out to people is, mm-hmm. um, and I, I believe that you are there too with the efforts and the works that you're doing in social media and with, um, helping coach people through trauma and working people, working with people through trauma Mm -hmm. that you want to be that person to help them recognize that there are people out there that can hold that space for them. Mm -hmm. And to say, if I can even say to one person, you, you do have someone that believes in you, even if you don't feel it. Mm -hmm you can take some of my faith, so to speak, you can take yep. some of my strength yep. and just know that I'm with you. Yep. And so uh, I guess I'll push pause there. Let you yeah. jump.
0: No, and I, you're right. I think that person is pivotal in those low moments. And you're exactly right. That's why this platform exists, because I felt like I was alone and trapped dealing with a lot of the things that I was. So, and, you know, When you're silenced or manipulated into silence or you know whatever it is and you lose all your people you lose credibility because they've damaged your reputation on purpose by spreading lies and the smear campaign you know all those things um that yeah it can feel really heavy um and thank you for sharing that because i know that's that's really vulnerable and can be hard to share sometimes so thank you for opening up about that
1: well you're you're welcome. Um, that's still part of my process. As as you were bringing up about the smear campaign, mm-hmm. uh, in in your experience with toxic relationships, people that have invalidated you mm-hmm. and tried to uh, disrepute, make you disreputable, not unbelievable, that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I did that work for myself. <laughs> I I did my own damage on my reputation through that mm-hmm. process. But where my tie-in comes to my toxic relationship with my father was that that was part of the result, I believe very at a core level Mm -hmm. of not having that connection and early on someone telling me there's nothing more I can do with you, right? You're beyond help. You're beyond hope in effect, right?
2: Yeah.
1: And that stuff matters that we take that stuff in whether yeah. someone's doing that to a little child or even as an adult, mm-hmm. someone that we love and care about mm-hmm. is telling us we're crazy. Um, we're the problem, uh, you know, all of those things Yeah, that goes in deep. It does. And that's where those toxic relationships, unfortunately for many people, they're not in a position to take action against, especially if they're children in in a family setting or in a family of origin setting, um, they may not be able to just leave or get out of it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's sometimes a misconception that many people have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could go on and on about that. When you establish those kinds of patterns at an early age and then take that young person put them into an adult body mm-hmm. and put them into a relationship. And now all of a sudden they're caught in these abusive relationships, whether they're the abuser or the abused
2: mm-hmm.
0: or
1: a mixture of both. Yep. And people look at it from the outside going, well, why don't they just leave or why don't they just change or whatever?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's that disconnect of not recognizing how deeply seated that woundedness is Yes. And becoming a part of that core identity that we need to be able to unravel and unpack. And hopefully that is where yep. uh, people can find uh, loving, caring, safe uh, therapists and clinicians to be able to work with, to hold space for them to be able to unpack that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It's like that, that chaos becomes mm. your center your, you know, it's like, that's what, you know, so that feels right because it's what you're used to. Not only like body wise, but it's just what feels comfortable, even if it's not what is good for you. Mm -hmm. And that, that can be really hard. And that's a really hard awakening to have is like, Oh, this is not, this is not a good pattern. Right. Um, so When we get into talking about quality of relationships, before we dive into like some of the signs of more toxic relationships, I know we've been sharing a little bit of stories, um, but to kind of give some like guidelines or things for people to look for, what would you consider are like some qualities of a healthy relationship from a therapist standpoint? (laughs) Because so many people be like, oh, this is fine. This is healthy. And like, it's, it's not like (laughs) enmeshment comes to, you know, the idea of that people think that being super close all the time is super healthy. Um, but obviously we understand that that's not, so what kind of things would you have someone look out for in a healthy relationship?
1: Um, oh gosh, that, that is a really good question and a really hard question. I know it is. Um, I know, you know, to try to, I guess, I guess my first thought there is, really the the core thing I would be looking for is someone's willingness to grow and someone's willingness to be open to go deeper. Yes. Um, If someone is not, there's a big difference between someone who is not able to access their emotions and talk about their their emotions and someone who is not willing. Those are two very different things. So can there be a healthy relationship with someone who is unable to access those emotions. I'm going to say yes, not without problems or difficulties. Yeah. But, but can that become a healthy relationship? Absolutely. It's just someone who needs to work on a skill set, right? Yeah, As true. opposed to someone who is adamantly against, no, I won't go there. No, yeah. we're not going to do that. Um, you know, if you need to be touchy feely, go be touchy feely, but that's not my routine. Mm. Um, maybe I have a little bit of my own bias coming through there. Uh, but. Oh no,
0: that, that I, I literally, that's, that's my whole family. They're just resistant. No, we don't, yeah. we don't talk about mental health. We don't, I don't do therapy. Don't talk to me about anything like, no, I, I'm yeah. not the problem. You're the problem. No.
1: Right. Yeah. So that's where I would say is probably one of the biggest red flags. Now, mm-hmm. um, uh, let me actually, let me just pause there. Give you an yeah. opportunity to
2: jump in.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think that for me, it comes down to accountability. Yes. Someone who is able to take accountability and look at themselves and be willing to say, Hey, this is, this is where my faults lie. Cause we are all imperfect humans. You and I still, <laughs> no matter how much work we've done, no matter what's happening, we all still have things we can work on. Right. So the right. thing that I look for is, is the accountability of saying, yeah, you're right. I mess up here. This is, you know, And here's my, here's what I'm going to do to fix it.
1: Yeah. Um, Also somebody's ability, even in that uh, taking responsibility, something I talk to my clients about, I work predominantly with uh, young adults, 18 and up individual and couples. Um, But when I'm working with couples, one of the things I talk about uh, in, in being able to apologize is that sometimes we all have those moments, right? We get, we get heated, we get frustrated. Yeah. That's not the same thing as someone not being willing to accept responsibility or apologize. They may just need some time to process. Now, mm-hmm. there, there's some healthy ways to do that, and some unhealthy ways to do that, or problematic ways to do it, and uh, preferable ways to do it. But if somebody can come back and ask for a do-over, mm-hmm. that's huge in my book. Yeah, you know, especially being able—maybe it's a you know. Twelve hours, twenty-four hours later, be, someone's able to come back and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm really sorry. I did not handle that well.
2: Yeah. I,
1: you know, maybe they don't have the the therapist lingo. I was triggered. It hit mm-hmm. my core wound, or you know, they, maybe they don't have that, but yeah. they're able to recognize I got really upset and I didn't handle that well. I'm sorry. Yeah, can we please start over?
0: Yeah, and I think That's that it comes down to the ability and desire for self-awareness and introspection. Yes. Yes. Right. So I think what what you're kind of talking, it is like kind of like twofold, right? It's like, you want to be able to work through something. You want to be able to be better, that growth mindset, right? But it's also that, okay, so if you want to, but don't take any action, then that's still not super healthy. It's like, I feel like there has to be both.
1: I I would definitely agree. Um, I, my only pause there is I'm just thinking that, um, in my own experience and also with some people that I've worked with Mm -hmm. that their, their, um, availability to access that and to go into that level of healing may not be there for them just yet. Right. So again, it's nuanced. Um, there's a big difference between somebody saying, I recognize I have a problem. I need to work on that and I'll look at it later <laughs> or whatever, yes, or exactly. I'm not ready to look at it versus someone again, who says it's, I'm not the problem. No, I'm not going to go there kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, but yeah. I do completely agree with you. There needs to be not just an awareness, but action to be willing to work on it mm-hmm. while understanding that sometimes that ability to work on it is not going to be hundred percent all the time. In the moment,
0: yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Um, are there any other skill sets or qualities that stand out to you as like you would want someone to look for in a relationship to be considered more healthy?
1: Um, I hope this isn't repeating what I just said. Uh, okay, fine. But availability to access, identify and verbalize their emotions. Yeah. Which might seem basic but it's so not.
0: Yes. I agree. Um
1: there are so many people, so many people that struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um even the distinction between um uh, th- uh, thoughts and feelings, uh thoughts and emotions
2: mm-hmm. um mm-hmm
1: confusing the two, that sort of thing. So people's ability to recognize, identify, and verbalize the, the emotions they're experiencing are huge. I and I, again, I want to preface that and say, just because somebody may not have that skill, because I work with, that is probably one of the main things I work on with a lot of individuals and couples.
2: Mm-hmm
1: it doesn't mean that it's a red flag for the relationship and you shouldn't be in that relationship. I don't want to go to that extreme necessarily, yeah. but again, willingness, awareness, yeah. willingness, right. To work on it, because being able to identify and verbalize those emotions is what is going to help you get to a deeper level, mm-hmm. help you get to a personally, but also relationally with your partner and be able to uh, partner or partners and be able to share with them what's going on in your life and vice versa, and be mm-hmm. able to have empathy. If you can't connect with your own emotions, how are you going to be able to connect with somebody else's emotions? Yes. And I think there's a big disconnect for people there. And I guess I could go on and on about that, but
0: no, I that's a big one. Hundred percent agree. I think it comes down to that emotional intelligence skills need to be there to a point, right? And to me, this is not saying like you have to have this to be in a relationship. It's more like in an ideal relationship, when you're like you're you're getting to that point where you're like, yeah, like these are like the healthy traits. This is not saying like if if you don't have this, then you shouldn't be in a relationship or you're failing or anything like that. It's just like traits that would be beneficial to work towards or look for. Um, yeah. I think it's maybe a better way to phrase it. So people aren't like, well, I don't have that. Does that mean that I no? that's, that's not what we're saying. It's just, there are Agreed. certain things that are progressed in the journey. Right. And the skills and those kind of things. And there are some things that are just needing a little bit more development and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like so toxic and horrible that you need to escape it's just there's exactly there's ones yeah
1: yeah and uh that brings up for me anyway um mm-hmm. i think sometimes people can jump to extremes myself included i mm-hmm. acknowledge that we get to this place <laughs> of one of yeah. my favorites yep. um he says sarcastically <laughs> the uh the ability to take what might be a temporary or minor problem and turn it into a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> yes.
2: um,
1: and that can happen in relationships too. Yes. So I, I do wanna be clear and um, brief in this that are there times where we need to uh, disconnect from certain individuals, family members, etc. cetera? Yes, I believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know that touches some probably buttons and woundedness for many people in different ways positive yep. and negative yep. um, however there are times where for your own well-being and well and health you may need to disconnect from certain people in your life and mm-hmm. that can be traumatic in itself mm-hmm. right that can be a whole nother area of grief of, of coming to that place where you need to disconnect from somebody Now, just because we've talked about some of these things, uh, you know, emotional intelligence, uh, awareness, ability to access emotions, wanting to work on things, et cetera, Mm -hmm. just because somebody lacks a skill set in that area does not necessarily equal, they're unhealthy and you can't be in a relationship with them. I'm talking more about extreme areas of mental, emotional, physical, sexual abuse, where that dynamic has gone to an extreme and there is no room for, or possibility of repair.
2: Um,
1: Somebody is unwilling or unable Mm -hmm. to acknowledge their part. Um, And that can be a whole nother process. So being able to find that line, uh, I don't want to pretend again, I I don't want to throw out generalizations. This is where context and nuance are so important. Mm -hmm. Each person's individual experience is their own Mm -hmm. and they have their own history and context, they need to be able to make the decision that's right for them. Um, At the same time, and this is where sometimes the whole, my my background in spirituality kind of rubs up against uh, my... The therapy side. (laughs) (laughs) We'll move on. Um, One of the things that I found was a lot of unhealth. Let's just put it that way.
2: Yeah.
1: And in mainstream uh, faith, and, um, I'm not trying to throw all faith under the bus or anything like that, mm-hmm. but the reality is, is that there is an awful lot of toxicity that I realized, uh, saw for myself in, um, in family situations that are set up to be, this is the family dynamic you're supposed to have.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And it perpetuated abuse. Absolutely. And I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail about all that. I think people get the point there. Um, So those things can be very difficult as well. So we're not just talking about family members. We're not just talking about romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, and this is another uh, population that I work with, with religious trauma. Sometimes you need to remove yourself from social groups or um, support systems. Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about right. rocking your world when all of a yeah. sudden, all of your support system is what you suddenly realize
2: mm-hmm.
1: is not healthy for you. That is scary. It is. It and
0: it really takes is. so
1: much courage to step out and be and try to find your authentic self and heal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, anyway, I didn't mean to take us down a rabbit
0: hole. Oh, trail, no. I, I mean, I agree with you. And I think that. It kind of goes into what I was going to bring up as one of the things that I think we haven't talked on yet, as far as healthy versus unhealthy, the relationships, having this ability of separateness and having this ability to have togetherness as well. Mm. Um, it's, I think for me, I was the fixer. I'm going to, I see (laughs) this, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to write. And it's like, it was a hurt inner child, but even if you have the best intentions of I think that it's important to allow someone to have autonomy and agency yes, in their own in the relationship and if there's something they need to work on separately that's not you micromanaging and saying okay do it this way this way this way this way it's allowing yeah. people to have their own independence to do what they need to do in their life while still supporting whatever they need to do without controlling right it's like I think it's kind of the the line of this, it's like the 50, 50, this is my part of the responsibility. This is your part of the responsibility. I support you in whatever, but I'm not going to cross over and force you to do that. Right? There's times where we can show support without yeah. doing for. I think is the kind of differentiation there.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, that actually brings up a, another point too. Uh, talking about not trying to avoid polarization or extremes, sometimes it's not about cutting someone out of your life, just limiting exposure. Right? You know, I uh, just to use. We're coming up on the holidays, so that's a, a probably a good example. You might be able to handle a couple of times a year with certain family members. But that's about your max. That doesn't mean that you want to have them over for you know weekend board game nights or whatever. Um, and so finding that level of uh, comfort and what works for you. In you brought up autonomy and individual perception of what's the best thing for the individual. That's part of it too. That in some situations it might be extreme. Some situations not so much.
0: I agree, and you know I think that brings us to a really good point when we're talking about boundaries. Mm. And I think that's something that a lot of survivors and a lot of people on this page struggle with, um, myself included at times, that it's it's taken time um, to learn your own needs and how to kind of implement that. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about enmeshment and what that is? Because I feel like that's really common and, there are some people that might not fully understand it, And we talked about a little bit before, but maybe give some more context and then jump into boundaries a little bit. Cause I think that can be life-changing in okay. toxic yeah. relationships.
1: So in a nutshell, and this is a, a very abridged uh, definition, I would just say that enmeshment is more along the lines of when you cannot distinguish yourself apart from the other individual. So uh, when I mentioned earlier about some of my earlier relationships where I was so enmeshed, I could not distinguish myself apart from that individual. And when we had a, a, a disagreement or a rupture in our relationship, my world was coming apart. And I had friends around me that were looking at me like, you know, dude, get a grip. It's it's a girlfriend. You're, you're going to survive this. Yeah. Yeah, you don't get it. I, I don't think I'm going to survive this.
2: Yeah, right? So the
1: enmeshment is about that inability to see yourself as an individual, as an autonomous person that is a part of a relationship. And yes, you are connected, but you are not necessarily one individual. That, yeah. Does that help? Now with so. boundaries, um, just to go right to it, there's, there's a particular book I'd probably recommend. It's uh, maybe some of your listeners have heard of it. It's called simply boundaries, um, by authors, cloud and Townsend.
2: Okay. Um,
1: and you can Google it and look it up. There's several different, uh, books. They have, you know, boundaries and relationships, boundaries and marriage boundaries with kids, all kinds of stuff.
2: Great. This is
1: not the end all beat all about all boundaries, but it's a good starting point. And I, I would suggest that that would be a good place to start. Yeah. When yeah. we talk about boundaries, uh, I encourage people, again, context, nuance is important for mm-hmm. your situation. If you're in a relationship, your boundaries with your partner might look a little bit different than your boundaries with your family members. Your boundaries with your coworkers are going to be slightly different than your boundaries with your friends. Uh, your boundaries with your f- friends that happen to be coworkers is going to be different than your boundaries with coworkers that are just acquaintances, right? Yeah. So there's going to be different levels here, but we're talking, I, I would say that when we're talking about boundaries, I like to use the image and, um, again, quick disclaimer, different people have different approaches to this, but I like to use the idea of a fence with a gate Okay. that when, when you're establishing a boundary, you're, you have a fence with a gate and you have the opportunity to open that gate or close that gate. Mm-hmm. And to allow somebody in, you can go out, that kind of thing. Um, Versus a wall is what I'm trying to say.
0: That makes sense.
1: A a wall is permanent, a wall blocks, a wall is much more um, obtrusive um, where the gate has sort of a a definition. It defines a boundary, but it also has a a gate that opens and closes and it's more flexible, it's adjustable. The other thing that I would uh, suggest with boundaries is to consider the the idea that boundaries are actually, if I'm setting a boundary uh, with you, Taylor, I'm not setting the boundary that you have to follow.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm
1: setting a boundary for myself Yes, in this relationship. And I'm saying, this is what works for me. And this is what doesn't work for me. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> because I care about our relationship, I'm communicating that to you mm-hmm. and I'm asking that you would please help me honor that, right? If yep. that boundary becomes violated by the other person, it's not my responsibility to put them on blast, right? I, I might bring it up. I might call it out to see if we can repair again, yes. right? Yes. But the responsibility falls on me to hold that boundary and maybe I'm the one who needs to close the gate? Yeah. Rather than yell at the person for being on my side of the fence.
0: Absolutely. Your so. boundaries are for you, it's not for yes. other people. And if people do cross a boundary, whether intentionally or not, it is up to you to decide how to respond to that. Yes. Right. And I think that, especially, I'll give the example for me early on in my life. I had these hard, very rigid boundaries. If you do this, then we're done. If this, then like, no, there's no nuance. There's you hurt me. You're out of my life. Like, no, right? right.
1: Binary on and off.
0: Exactly. And it needed to be that way because there was a lot of manipulation and toxicity in my past from certain people. So for me, it was harder because of the nuances of manipulation and all of that kind of relationship dynamic. Um, However. I took that very rigid boundary into other relationships that didn't deserve that for a long time. Right. So it's like, it was, how dare you? And then it was the shaming. You hurt me. You did this. How dare you now look what I have to do. You know what I mean? When, as I've been healing and growing, it's, Hey, this happened. This made me feel this way in order to do what I need to do to feel safe and comfortable and maintain this relationship, this is what I need to do now. I need to take a step back in this way, or I need to, you know, limit some, I need to, you know, if you're, for instance, like, I think of like staying overnight with a partner, if there's Mm -hmm. this continuous thing where you've been really close and spending a lot of time together, then it's like, hey, I need a few days to myself. Hey, I need to, you know, I need to kind of come back to me and figure out what feels good. And then I'll kind of talk to you then, right? figure out what's, what's me triggered versus what is the longevity of this relationship or whatever that may mean. Um, and I also think too, that I always saw boundaries as it's a protect you or get out kind of thing. And I think boundaries are set in order to maintain a relationship.
1: Exactly. Yeah. and, And I think that's another really key point is sometimes I think we can approach boundaries from a negative mindset. Um, or yeah. a, as a negative versus recognizing that it's an attempt at in a proactive attempt to nurture the health of the relationship absolutely right absolutely. i don't like going to the dentist it's not like on my top five favorite yeah. things to do yeah but when i go to the dentist and i do that kind of work proactively i know that i'm going to be better in the long run and boundaries can be a little bit like going to the dentist, right? You're, you're doing these things. It doesn't have to be so bad as a root canal. Um, but it's, sometimes it is uncomfortable and awkward. And, mm-hmm. But it is for the benefit of the relationship. And if two parties can recognize that, you mentioned about the, the vignette of you know having a partner and you spend some time together and then you need a little bit of space. If the partner can be on board with that and be able to recognize and say, hey, I get it, take your time. You do you. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to look forward to when we come back together, but you know, you, you do what you need to do because I want you to be healthy. I want you to flourish, right? That's the, the mutual respect, the mutual desire for growth, um, fostering individual, individuality and autonomy while also contributing to the relationship together.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think you brought up a really good point too, that it's, whether or not you agree with someone's needs or wants or desires, it's respecting that their need to do whatever they need to do, right? And like the toxicity shows up when you're trying to put your beliefs, your values, your whatever else onto the other person and force that into the relationship, right? There've been yeah. times where, you know, I, I am someone, I like to be together more often and like, it's just it's it's great for me. I've, you know, um, however, I've had partners in the past where it's like, I need my alone time more. And for a while I took that personal and I had to actually like walk through and be like, cause you can see on my face that I, it hurts me cause it triggers an abandonment wound. And I will literally have to be like, you can see I'm visibly upset. This isn't about you. I'm gonna handle my own stuff. I want you to do what you need to do. So don't, this is not me trying to manipulate you by sharing my feelings. This is just very readable on my face. This is an internal thing I'm gonna deal with. And these are my needs. And you need to do what's best for you. Yeah. And they still do it, even though it's uncomfortable for me. It's at this point And I had, to, I learned the skill in that relationship, but, you know, I had to work up to that point where it's like, we share different viewpoints on this, but you deserve to have your need met in this. And so do that. And I will deal with whatever on my end.
2: Yeah.
1: It's, it's interesting me to me also in working with some uh, clients that, and I'm not giving away any kind of personal Confidential information here.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. There have been some clients that I have worked with. It's very interesting where they're totally on board with that, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I get it, no problem." But as you, as you're saying, for some people, it's really scary.
0: It's so hard. What do
1: you mean? You need space.
0: Yeah.
1: What does that mean? That I'm not. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, am I've done something, haven't I? Right and it gets internalized. And so in situations like that, again, while in trying to encourage people to uh, not be in an enmeshed in their relationship, but to be able to be um, partnered with somebody cooperatively, being able to recognize that if your partner does kind of fall into that, that ladder
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: example, or even what you brought up, being able to say to someone up front, I want you to know I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I am and I think not that's that emotional
0: you. intelligence, recognizing your own feelings and needs and desires with whatever your intent behind things. The communication yeah. is helpful too.
1: And then also having empathy for your partner's situation. It's not. <clears throat> it's not my job. Again, I'm going to use you as the example. Oh,
0: please do. Um,
1: it's not my job to manage Taylor's emotions. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a relationship with someone, yeah, it's full on part of my job to be a part of that. And so no, it's not my job to manage your emotions, but I wanna be sensitive. And so if I know that's an area for you, I wanna be sure to do my best to speak to that part of you and to let you know, I'm not going anywhere. I I promise you we're okay. Um, and, And if we need to talk more about this, we can. Um, I just need a little bit of space.
0: I love what you just brought up because I think that it is this differentiation that I feel like is not talked about enough in relationships. That is the difference between responsibility and consideration. Right. Right. It's like, it, whether or not it is my responsibility oh, that God. you are triggered or you are feeling frustrated or whatever it else. If I know that my partner has a repeating trigger and it's going to be frustrating for them then i will be considerate in my communication it doesn't Correct. mean if yeah. they get triggered that it's my fault it's that i care about this person and i recognize that there are things that are challenging for them so therefore i'm i might modify my behavior a little bit or i might communicate more a little bit in this it doesn't mean that i am responsible for it it means that i'm being considerate and adapting as a partner as to what may be more suitable, as long as it's not harmful and long as, you know, it it stays within a healthy dynamic. I feel like people think that if you have to shift anything to be with someone else, again, this this hard boundary, right? Then it must be unhealthy. And I just don't think that's true. But I think many of us survivors learned that there's no nuance. So that's like, oh, well that's manipulative. And I just don't think that's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I, the, the only other thought that came up with that, I keep coming back to this tagline, uh, context and nuance, right? Yeah, Every individual situation is different. And so it, there may be times where if, let's just say that the example goes off the rails a little bit and you're trying to be sensitive and compassionate mm-hmm. for someone else. But it is, it's not working <laughs>
2: Fair. and
1: the partner isn't getting it. You may have to close that gate, right? Yeah. And, and you might be able to, to be a little bit firmer and say, I, I just want to reiterate, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're okay. I can see that you're upset,
2: mm-hmm. but I
1: promise I'm coming back. I just, yeah. I need an afternoon. I need the weekend, whatever yeah. it is, right? And, and then you, you do what you need to do and you move on. So I think that there can also be graduating levels of, I don't know how to put this, I guess, intensity or um, uh, how you approach a situation.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, You can slowly close the gate. Sometimes you might need to swing it closed. You know, it just depends on the situation.
0: Agreed. I I completely agree. And I think it also depends on their um, nervous system state as well as to how you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Um, okay. So the last one that at least for me that I'm thinking of, um, that I want to talk about is like rupture and repair because I, there are, there's the misconception out there that if there are fights, if there are things that go wrong, then it must be that the relationship is not sustainable. Right. And you and I both know that in the healthiest relationships, there are going to be those disagreements and it's kind of about how you come through. Um, can you share a little bit about rupture and repair in relationships and what would be a healthy way to go about that versus not necessarily so healthy? I will try. Uh,
1: my, my first thought, um, I'm sure many of us, your listeners as well, have heard at some point, uh, love shouldn't be hard work. That is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard.
0: Yep. Right. Um,
1: Just saying, not just from my own experience or bias, but really that's the stuff that Hollywood sells us. It's the movies. I'm not saying there shouldn't be romance. I'm not saying there shouldn't be passion and fire. I'm just saying that relationships are work. If you care about someone, really care about them, it's going to be work. And even in long-term relationships, you're going to go through seasons of growth, hopefully. And people Mm -hmm. change and they develop. And that requires collaboration and communication and all of those things. So getting back to rupture and repair. um, There's a term I use called difficult conversations. Having difficult conversations or awkward conversations about, um, they can be deep, meaningful uh, situations. They can be uh, more personal. uh, If you're in a romantic situation, et cetera. But being able to navigate a difficult conversation with your partner, where you can feel heard, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: understood, validated, is not the same thing as agreeing with someone. So. You can validate. Let me try and rephrase this you can validate and affirm someone without agreeing with them. Uh, Yeah. And not everybody seems to get that or understand that or agree with that. There are some people who feel very strongly, no, that's, I can't do that because if I validate that, it's inaccurate. And that's where that that polarization, that binary yes or no on off black, white thing comes into play where you literally are invalidating someone else's experience. Mm -hmm. Now, without getting too philosophical here, I'm not trying to say there is an ultimate truth. What I'm trying to say though, is that you, if you're going to move forward in trying to repair in a, a rupture in a relationship, You need to be able to at least try to meet someone on a common ground. And that common ground can simply be validating their their experience from their perception. Mm
2: -hmm. You can
1: validate and affirm someone's emotions without necessarily agreeing with everything in the context of what happened. If a person feels heard and validated, it starts to bring down the walls of defensiveness um so one of the things that i see quite often is in a difficult conversation or if there's been a rupture uh two individuals just use two cuz it's easier two people come together they're they're having a fight they're trying to work through things right mm-hmm. inevitably what happens is someone makes a comment someone gets hurt they become defensive
2: mm-hmm.
1: then they lob like badminton or something tennis they yeah. lob a uh, an attack
2: mm-hmm.
1: or they lob some sort of accusation oh oh right well you mm-hmm. right and the next thing you know we're reacting in defensiveness and counter-attacks and we're not even talking about the problem anymore yeah. problems Completely off the table now. Now we're just going back and forth with being injurious towards one another and becoming more defensive. Mm -hmm. If we can slow that roll a little bit and be intentional about one person being the speaker, explaining their perception of what's going on, that the the listener then responding to that person, mirroring back what they heard, so that that person feels completely heard, understood, and received. Mm -hmm. then you can change roles, give different perceptions, and you may end up getting more information that helps you have a different perspective. You may not. You may, at the end of the day, find yourselves in completely opposing positions about the subject, Mm -hmm. but the difference is each person feels heard and understood and validated by their partner, and so they have an opportunity to move forward in a situation where maybe we agree to disagree or we come to a compromise or whatever it is in a perfect world. We might get more information that we weren't aware of. We can identify. I'm going to use myself. I identify my part. I can see what you're saying. I can see how that hurt you. Mm -hmm. I want to acknowledge that I should not have said things that way, right? Mm -hmm. Take response. If there's something there to take responsibility for, take responsibility for, and then you can move towards repair. You can move towards coming closer together. So if we're able to do this process of being able to hear each other out, validate and affirm each other, and then work towards mutual understanding, we have a better chance of repairing that rupture versus digging our heels into the ground. And I'm just waiting for the other person to need to take a breath so I can tell them exactly why they're wrong and I'm right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're exactly right.
1: I, I hope that spoke it to did. The I, question, rupture and repair.
0: Exactly. And I think that's a really good thing to note as well. And I think another thing that you kind of touched on as well is that letting go of those emotions projected onto someone on blame or shame or, you know, like anything that you're putting on someone else. Um, one of the things also that I wanted to touch on is that, you know, you're talking about responsibility, taking Mm -hmm. your own personal responsibility. Um, I think that's one of the most important things you can do, um, whether or not the person is, is doing that back. That's, that's like a personal thing, right?
1: hundred percent.
0: Um, and I also think that there is this misconception and uh, particularly with emotional abuse survivors or anything that's been part like weaponized against them, um, is taking responsibility as in admitting fault or blame. I think that's different. There is no fault or blame in a situation where you're attempting to come back together. You each have your own part. I don't think it's like you did this. How dare you? Um, obviously again nuance but i think for the most part that taking responsibility should not be seen as equal to taking blame of everything right it's not your fault just because you admit something that you didn't do the way you wanted to
1: yes thank you for bringing that up because i agree with you a hundred percent there there may be a uh, rupture in the relationship where we find um we find that, uh, there's mutual fault yep. as long as it's not, I, I would hope that my partner is able to identify and take responsibility for their actions,
2: mm-hmm. but that's not my job. Yeah.
1: My job is me,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: There's a saying in recovery, you know, worry about your side of the street, clean up your side of the street. Yep. And I, I, I take that into a relational rupture and repair as well. It, it's the same idea. You, your neighbor is your neighbor and your neighbor is going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. Your, your responsibility is your side of the street. And if I can approach that and be open enough to acknowledge my part in a situation, it can set the stage for, uh, for greater healing moving forward. Um, there was something else you said that I didn't want to lose, and I think I already lost it.
0: That's okay. I was talking about, um, responsibility versus blame. And then also you got it. Yeah, okay.
1: I did. Thank you. Blame shame, uh, yes. is a big deal. <laughs> um, one of the things that I experienced that was very difficult for me at first was this recognition. As I mentioned, I had become the guy I didn't want to become. I became my dad in a lot of ways and, and worse. And I, I mean that Um, a lot of people got hurt with my decisions, my actions. Some of them, um, some of them were cognizant and others were not. They were just, I was trying to quote survive and there were casualties in my wake. Um, However, being able to separate acknowledging that I've done something wrong versus I am wrong. Mm. I still have to work on that. Yeah. I am in my fifties. I don't even want to say that out loud. Um, Even decades past those incidents, I am still working on that concept of I, just because I've done something wrong, doesn't mean I am wrong. Mm -hmm. Just because I've done something bad, doesn't mean I am bad. And Again, I'm not a child therapist, but man, I will use a bullhorn and shout this from the rooftops. Please parents do not shame your children Yes, because that's where this stuff gets rooted. And it certainly was for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm even getting emotional saying it right now Yeah. that we were talking about key awareness. That was a big deal for me is recognizing that I took on an identity of shame Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: boy, I lived up to it. In my behaviors and my actions and my choices, I'm bad, so I'm gonna be bad. Mm -hmm. Sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. And so, if in rupture and repair, if we can learn to be able to separate that stuff for ourselves Mm -hmm. and be able to just come to a place of owning our own stuff,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: regardless of what our partner does. Then, then, we're doing what's right by us, and we're doing what's be- what's right by our relationship to the best of our ability.
0: Absolutely, I completely agree. Oh my goodness! Okay, I'm. I feel like we've had a really strong conversation on this, and obviously, knowing that there are a lot of nuances to toxic versus you know unhealthy, and honestly, there are so many more things that you can go over in specific yeah. situations. You know, like when it comes to different dynamics, like there's, there's the codependency and and there's all kinds of things. Right. Um, However, I think for now, let's, let's put a pin in this because we can always have you back (laughs) and we can always talk about new things. Um, So switching gears a little bit um, for those who are new to you, can you share a little bit about where they can find you, what you offer right now, anything like that?
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California. So translation, that means I'm able to work with anyone who resides in the state of California. That's that's the key distinguishing mm-hmm. factor for licensing in the state of California. Yep. Um, but open to work with anyone. I work with, uh, as I mentioned, predominantly individuals and couples. Uh, probably, I do work with some teens, I'd say probably 16 years and older um, and then as far as finding me, I'm, uh, I'm on all the social medias out there, uh, Eric Winton counseling. And then I also have a website, ericwintoncounseling.com. You can find me there and it's got some more information and background and ways to contact me.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I hope that your first podcast experience was wonderful. Oh, and I knew it was. You did great. You did great. Uh, I think well, that it, thank you. it was a wonderful conversation. I think it's going to be really enlightening for a lot of people and, you know, just know that like there's it's lifelong learning. Right. Right. And I think there's so many pivotal points that people can take home from this. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us all. You're
1: very welcome. And I really do appreciate being invited. I mean that. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next week. Take care.